Hi, that's Peter Klein. And that's Kim Carson. <laughs> I duped you. Yeah. <laughs> and this is We Had No Idea. Woo. Woohoo. We really shouldn't have started say, with me going, episode blah, 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 uh, because I have now stopped paying attention and have notes on a few different things, so I just, instead of putting episode whatever, I just put Winnie, and then episode yeah. thing. So, um, I, I have a very difficult time keeping track of it now. Episode that you're listening to. Yeah. We come to you from Mokinsis, and we acknowledge that we get the privilege of living and producing this show on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutsina Nations, the Iahe Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. You can find out what native lands you're on by looking at native-land.ca. And we have today the fourth call to action in the truth and reconciliation calls to action document set forth to the Canadian government. Um, we still are under the topic of legacy and child welfare. Uh, so number four on the calls to action is we call upon the federal government to enact Aboriginal child welfare legislation that establishes national standards for Aboriginal child apprehension and custody cases and includes principle that one affirm the right of Aboriginal governments to establish and maintain their own child welfare agencies Two, require all child welfare agencies and courts to take the residential school legacy into account in their decision making. And three, establish as an important priority a requirement that uh, a requirement that placements of Aboriginal children into temporary and permanent care be culturally appropriate. Another extremely reasonable ask. Yeah. To keep the legacy and child welfare of Aboriginal people protected. I yeah, like you summed it up. It's it's frustrating how reasonable these are. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not like they're asking for the world or anything. It's just like, hey, be decent. Yeah, maybe consider that we're not white people. Anyway, our sources for the show. Oh, this is loud. Uh, Chat GPT, CBS News, BTK, The Hunt for a Serial Killer, documentary by AE Networks, All That's Interesting.com, Times 2, by the way, uh, AE TV.com, Biography.com, Truth and Reconciliation, Calls to Action. Um, also, before we get into this, uh, you probably could tell by the title, but this episode is going to deal with things that are very graphic in nature. There is some killing, and uh, also there is going to be some sexual assault content in here. So uh, this is a, a trigger warning that there are some things in here that anyone could find uh, disturbing. Yep. Um, did, did you happen to look at what mine were? My We... Oh, all... Holy crap, what is going on in my brain? We both have three yes. things we would like to talk about. Six yes. total. Did you look at mine? No, I'm, I, I've I've picked up on one from the sources, uh, but I, I have not. Um, I, I what? Have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it biography.com? Yeah. BTK, the hunt for a serial killer <laughs> named OJ Simpson. Um, also, I'm just realizing now uh, our window is open out here and you absolutely can hear us out there. Should we close this? No. I mean, there's children who live in our it's neighborhood. It's hot. Yeah, it's hot outside too. Not as hot as it is in here. No, that's fair. Look, okay. If, 
the okay. kids gotta know. Yeah, I guess. There are dangers in this world. Okay. And we're gonna tell them about it. <laughs> yep. Why don't you start us off there, Peter? I mean, I, I'm more just trying to censor them so they have to download the podcast, get those numbers up, you know? Um, nah, give it a, give it away for free sometimes. Yeah, you know, that's fair. Advertising. Literally a free podcast. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> the show's called We Had No Idea on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you get podcasts. There, advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, w E space H A D Please go Space Idea. Um <laughs> dot com dot podcast. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into it, thank you all so much for downloading. Look at us being consistent with multiple no, episodes in a row. No, you're gonna jinx us. Um, but also, just a couple quick things. It is Pride Month, so we are re-releasing a couple of our Pride episodes. If you haven't noticed, uh, Stonewall came out the other day, and coming out next week will be our History of Drag episode. So uh, we have those things coming up, and then on uh, June 19th, we will have a replay of our Juneteenth episode. Uh, the thing about doing histories, you have a lot of what they call in the biz evergreen content. Yeah. So it's not like not like a whole lot of this is changing over the next little while. It's history, baby. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, just wanted to give the, the quick little blah, 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 blah at the beginning. Anyway, yeah, we shall pride. begin. And if you don't go pride, go fuck yourself. Um, I'm assuming you looked at mine, the killers now. Um, I, I looked at the names. One okay. I don't recognize. Oh, okay. Which one? This first one or the second uh, one? The second one. Okay. Uh... Well, you are in for a treat. Thank God. Don't read ahead, because it's quite the tale. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. All right, I'm going to begin with Mikhail Popkov. He worked as a policeman before later becoming a security guard. He has a wife and daughter. Uh, his wife, also in the police, provided an alibi for Popkov several times. Uh, it was speculated that Popkov uh, had been targeting women who resembled his reportedly alcoholic mother who abused him in his childhood. He was found guilty of killing 56 people. God, that's a lot of fucking people. Sure is, babe. Uh, Popkov was dubbed the werewolf or the Angarsk maniac by Russian media. He would pick up slightly intoxicated women who were just leaving bars or parties using his police car and uniform to gain the victim's trust in some of the murders. Popkov would then drive them to the forest where he raped and murdered them. Wow. The victims were reportedly axed, stabbed, or strangled to death. One of the victims was decapitated and another's heart had been ripped out. He would rape the victims after they were deceased as well. One of Popkov's victims survived his attack and later identified a photo of him. However, police chose to believe Popkov's wife, who had provided an alibi. Mm. Popkov claimed he stopped killing when he became impotent and attracted syphilis. Um, I don't know if attracted is the right yeah, word. Yeah, contracted. That, yeah, I guess technically a trap. But anyway, uh, <laughs> he had been labeled the Wednesday murderer by police, referring to the day when many of the bodies were found. All but one of his victims were women between the ages of 16 and 40. His one male victim was a policeman he gave a ride to late at night and killed in a forest. Popkov was caught in 2012 after investigators re-examined the case and carried out DNA testing on residents, focusing on those who drove a make of car that matched tracks found at the crime scenes. Investigators had suspected a policeman because of the way the killer carefully covered his tracks. The murders took place while he was serving as a police officer and after he left the force 
Force in 1998. In a 2017 interview with Russia's Medusa website, Popkov said he gave women lifts and targeted those who were drunk or living in a way he saw as immoral, adding that, quote, any society condemns the behavior of a debauched woman. At the questioning, Mikhail Popkov said he stopped after... Uh, a sexually, a sexually transmitted disease left him impotent and he lost the will to kill and rape. He described himself as a cleaner who was purging his home of prostitutes. One detective uh, hunting him labeled him as a werewolf. He said his first murder happened spontaneously. And that is a brief overview on the absolutely disgusting Mikhail Popkov. You know what a lot of serial killers have in common? They're awful people. Well, yeah, of course. Nailed it. Um, they all see someone living in a way that is immoral or debaucherous, and they think that they are the ones who get to decide yeah. for that other person. They are judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah. 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 That's fucked up. I've, I, yeah, I, I recall the name yep. and I remember hearing, um, the werewolf name somewhere. Okay. Um, but I didn't realize the 56 women is... Sorry, 55 women and one man is a lot of yes. people. That is insane. Yeah. Huh. Okay, well, I'm going to go to my first one. Okay. Uh, I chose the Ken and Barbie Killers. Okay. Have you heard of them? Um, only through you. <laughs> uh, really famous Canadian uh, murder duo. Uh, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. If you are into true crime at all... You probably have heard of the Ken and Barbie killers. Um, they committed a series of heinous crimes in the early 1990s. Um, a, a summary of their crimes. Well, yeah, a summary of their crimes um, that they were convicted for. Uh, they were uh, thought to have killed and hurt and raped and sexually assaulted more than this. Um, but what they actually were uh, convicted of was the murder of Leslie Mahaffey in June 91. Bernardo and Homoka kidnapped the 14-year-old girl in, from Burlington, Ontario. They held her captive, sexually assaulted her, and ultimately murdered her. They dismembered her body and disposed of the remains, which were later found in a lake nearby. They were also convicted... Um, for a woman named Kristen French in April 92, Bernardo and Homoka abducted the 15-year-old girl from St. Catharines, Ontario. They subjected her to sexual abuse and violence before killing her. French's body was found in a ditch several days later. And the one that people, you know, kind of hang their hat on uh, because in the trial, uh, Carla definitely pointed the finger at Paul. Mm. and was like, he made me do it. Like I was, I was Stockholm syndrome. I was, coerced right um but a lot of people don't believe that because the third victim that they were uh convicted for is tammy homolka tammy was carla homolka's younger sister in december 1990 so she was also one of the first yep bernardo and homolka drugged tammy with an anesthetic and then sexually assaulted her tragically tammy died as a result of the drugs and choking on her own vomit jeez uh the crimes committed by bernardo and homolka all involved rape, sexual assault, and in all the cases, they could prove murder. Um, and yeah, they're, I mean, they're Canadian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so something I wanted to read from our All That, my All That's Interesting article um, is Paul Bernardo said that he read the novel American Psycho 
uh, like his Bible. And when he met and married Carla Homolka, his sadistic streak only increased as she encouraged his behavior. Uh, so it was definitely both of them in everything they did. Um, and in the end, the Ken and Barbie killers were found to be responsible for at least 13 rapes. And they were convicted of the three murders in and around Toronto. Um, some articles say that they started in the 90s. Uh, likely it escalated to murders starting in the 90s, but started with sexual assaults around 1986. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Um, have you seen American Psycho? It, they, they've turned the book into a movie. Have I seen it? Let me look up the poster. It's uh, Christian Bale. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah? It's a wild movie. Obviously, based off of a serial killer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, this is interesting because, like, I, I thought this was more recent because the, the mm. name the name Carla Homolka resonates with me. Like, I, that that is a name that is familiar and more than just driving in a car with you for eight hours listening to murder <laughs> podcasts. Um, like, I, I thought this was, like, in the news at points. So to hear that the majority of this stuff happened in the early 90s was a bit of a bit of a surprise to me. Yeah. Um, I could look up really quickly. Uh, Carla Homolka changed her name to Leanne Teal and currently lives in Quebec with her husband. They have three children. Okay. Uh, in August of 2005, oh, sorry, in July of 2005, she was released. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and then in August 2005, she found employment uh, in a suburb of Montreal uh, and kind of just lived her life from there. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So she's doing well. Yeah. How lovely for her. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I am going to go to my next one then, if that is all you have. Um, do you want to know what happened to them, I guess? Like yes. I just said she was released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she did end up pleading guilty to manslaughter. That's how she ended up uh, in jail. Yep. Um, for uh, Mahaffey in French. She also admitted to her role in her sister Tammy's death. She received the 12-year prison sentence. Um, and then, like I said, was released in 2005. Uh, and Paul Bernardo was arrested and charged with the murders. He was found guilty of first-degree murder for the deaths of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French. Bernardo was also convicted of numerous sexual assaults. He received a life sentence without the possibility of parole and is currently serving his sentence in prison still. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, the 2000, maybe that's when I, when I heard of it was uh, 2005 uh-huh. uh, when she was being released. That's probably when it would have mm. come up for me. Um, no, that's interesting. I mean, awful, but yeah, absolutely. And it's so, you know, it's so insidious too. Like I think about, you know, when I'm walking alone at night or like when I feel scared, it's like when there's a man behind me. Yeah. But what if it was a woman? Right. I would definitely feel less scared. Yeah. But what if that woman's Carla fucking Homoka? <laughs> right. Or Leslie, whatever now. Um, yeah, Leslie Teal. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, Mm-hmm. I mean, all of it is very, mm. very, very fucked up. Leantil, sorry. Leantil, sorry. My uh, apologies to all Leslie Tills out there. Um, that's uh, that's my bad. Anyway, uh, moving on to my next one. I'm going to stick in Canada. I'm going to save the one that you don't know for last. Oh, okay. 
Uh, up next, Robert Pinkton, or Pickton, sorry, Pinkton. Uh, commonly known as Willie Pickton, is a Canadian serial killer who, I don't know anyone who called him Willie Pickton. I knew no. him as Robert Pickton. Robert Pickton is... Like... That's, all I've, that's all I've known him as, but uh, some commonly called him Willie, apparently. Well, yeah. He is a Canadian serial killer who was convicted of murdering multiple women in British Columbia, born on October 24th, 1949, in Port Coquitlam, B.C. Uh, Loco and Poco. Indeed. Picton was raised on a pig farm owned by his family. He was known to have a troubled upbringing and had a reputation of being a loner. Picton's crimes primarily targeted vulnerable women, many of whom were involved in sex work and had a history of drug addiction. Operating from his family's pig farm in Poco, Picton lured women to his property under the pretense of offering them money, drugs, or a place to stay. Once there, he subjected them to horrific acts of violence, including sexual assault and murder. The exact number of Picton's victims um, remains uncertain, but he was charged with the murders of 26 women. It is believed that the actual number of victims could be higher. The remains of some of the victims were found on his farm, leading to one of the largest crime scene investigations in Canadian history. That's kind of... Um, uh, mm -hmm. infamous photo mm -hmm. on the cover of like every newspaper across the country as the, the officers finding everything there. Yeah. In 2002, uh, authorities executed a search warrant on Picton's property as part of an investigation into illegal firearms. During the search, they discovered personal belongings, identification cards, and human remains. The subsequent investigation uncovered a horrifying trail of evidence linking Picton to the murders. DNA evidence and other forensic findings played a crucial role in the case against him. In 2007, Robert Picton was brought to trial on murder charges, on multiple charges of murder. He was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder, but the other 20 counts were stayed, meaning they were not pursued due to the lengthy trial and the belief that a conviction would be redundant. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with no possibility of parole for 25 years. The Picton case shed light on the issue of missing and murdered women in Canada, particularly those marginalized and involved in sex work. Uh, it sparked a national dialogue and led to changes in how law enforcement and social services address cases invulner involving vulnerable mm -hmm. populations. Um, I remember this is another one I remember was a like huge, huge, huge deal here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it was. And you're right, like that photo was plastered everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's messed up. Very. It's so messed up. It, it honestly, like uh, you and I watch Criminal Minds every now and then again. Um, and whenever they deal with like a farm based killer, yep. I think about Picton. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Okay. My next one is the BTK killer. Okay. Whose real name is Dennis Rader. Have you ever seen a picture of Dennis Rader? Uh, maybe I have. Just but... go ahead and type in BTK killer into that search. Everyone listening, do the same thing. Even if you're driving. Especially if you're driving. You can't tell me he doesn't look like the dad from that 70s show. Oh, yeah, he, he does. You can't fucking tell me it's yeah. nothing. No, you're right. Except he's like a nightmare version of him. Yeah, he's definitely like... Nightmare Red Foreman. Yeah, the evil version of... Yeah, Red Foreman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so he was an American uh, serial killer who terrorized Wichita, Kansas uh, from the 1970s to the early 2000s. Uh, starting in about 74, Raider began a series of killings, which he called the Bind, Torture, Kill, BTK Murders. Oh, that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, his victims were mostly women. I feel so redundant saying that. Like, yeah. Women are, of all kinds, are definitely the targets for fuckers like this. Yeah. 
Uh, Raider would break into his victims' homes, often while they were sleeping, and bind them with various various materials. He would then proceed to torture, sexually assault, and ultimately kill them. Raider was known for his meticulous planning and attention to detail. He would often taunt the police and media by sending them letters and clues about his crimes, which helped him maintain a sense of control and notoriety. Raider's crimes went unsolved for decades, causing fear and panic in the community. He managed to evade capture and continued living a seemingly normal life. Um, He was, quote unquote, a family man. He was a government worker and he was a church leader by day. So Hmm. he had all the community on his side. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So in 2004, after a long hiatus, Raider resumed communication with the police uh, after his crime trail went cold by sending them a floppy disk that contained metadata linking it to his church. So his maybe only slip up. Yeah. This information led authorities to Raider who was subsequently arrested on, uh, in February of 2005 in court, Raider confessed to 10 murders committed between 74 and 91. He provided chilling details about his crimes, his methods, and the psychological motivations behind them. Raider was charged with multiple counts of first-degree murder. Uh, and in 2005, he pled guilty to the murders and was, sen- and was sentenced to 10 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. Following his conviction, Raider was incarcerated in the El Dorado Correctional Facility in Kansas where he remains to this day. This one was also like, I, you know, I don't recall anything about this being a child at the time. Yeah. Um, but this is one of those ones where like, like he, he would break into people's homes. Yeah. And the thought of waking up to a stranger, just like flipping you over to, to bind you. Yeah. How horrific. Oh, that'd be awful. Like your safe space. Yeah. Home I invasion can't. is, is, yeah. terrifying i can't even think about it honestly yeah no it's awful yeah like yeah yeah very crazy yeah no that one's oof. yeah um and, and, then, and then for it to be so long like you'd almost never feel safe like for 30 years yeah i've often wondered about that like do you like anytime living with that for 30 years you hear like a police siren go by it's like oh they've got me i wonder though like a lot of criminals like him especially when they when they're taunting media and police. Yeah, they think they're too good to be caught. They're, they think they're the smartest person in the room all the time, yeah. and that's ultimately what gets them. Yeah, and it's what got him here, right? Like, he just couldn't leave well enough alone. He had, like, people yeah. had to know how smart he was. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, and that's when they fuck up. Yeah. Um, okay, my last one now. Yeah. Um, do you have a third one? I do. I didn't put it in here. Oh, oh, you're keeping it a secret. As a Kel Oh, okay. Uh, well, you should listen to this one. Okay, I was not gonna, so I'm glad that you said something. Actually? No, of course I was oh, gonna okay. listen. <laughs> um, Alright, now I feel like I've hyped this up a bit too much. Pedro Rodriguez Filio, um, which is interesting because Pedro Filio is also a MMA fighter. Not huh. this guy. Um, known as Pedrinho Matador, or Killer Petey is a Brazilian serial killer who gained notoriety for his violent acts. Born on June 17th, 1954, in Santa Rita do Sapacia, 
Brazil. Filio's life was marred by a troubling upbringing <laughs> and a series of violent events that shaped his path towards becoming one of the most infamous criminals in Brazilian history. Mm. Rodriguez's life started out rough from the moment he came into the world. He was born with an injured skull as a result of a beating his mother took from his father while she was pregnant. Mm. The Brazilian Dexter, as he's been called, uh, his criminal journey began in his teenage years when he was when he murdered the vice mayor of his town. An incident motivated by a dispute involving Filio's father. The man had recently fired um, Rodriguez's father, who was working as a school guard for allegedly stealing food from the school. So, Rodriguez shot him in front of City Hall with a shotgun. Huh. The next notorious murder for Pedro Rodriguez Filio was another one of vengeance. This time, the target... His own father, the same man he committed his murder on behalf of. Rodriguez's father had used a machete to kill Rodriguez's mother and was doing time at a local prison. Uh, Pedro Rodriguez visited his father in jail, where he killed him by stabbing him 22 times. Wow. After the murder, Filio fled the scene and eventually joined a criminal gang known as the Red Command. Uh, during his association with the gang, Filio engaged in numerous criminal activities, including drug trafficking and contract killing, which further fueled his reputation of violence. The notoriety for Filio escalated as he embarked on a personal, a personal mission of vengeance. Described by one analyst as the perfect psychopath, Rodriguez went after other criminals and those who had wronged him. This vendetta led to a spree of killings, primarily targeting criminals, rival gang members, and even corrupt police officers. His method involved using a wide range of weapons, including firearms, knives, and blunt objects to carry out his violent acts. It is estimated that Filio murdered over 70 people, although the exact number remains uncertain due to conflicting reports and his own accounts. His brutality and lack of remorse earned him the nickname of Pedrinho Matador, and his actions made him one of Brazil's most feared criminals. Then, taking things to a whole nother level, um, oh, I copy and pasted this into the wrong part. Um, back to the um, <laughs> back to the time where he uh, killed his dad, he uh, proceeded to cut his father's heart out before chewing on it. Padrino Matador was finally arrested on May 24, 1973. He was placed in a police car with two criminals, including a rapist. When the police opened the car door, they discovered that Rodriguez had killed the rapist. Huh. It was the start of a whole new chapter, being thrown in prison where he was surrounded by uh, convicts. Sorry, That was Rodriguez's bread and butter, as some would describe it. He killed at least 47 of his fellow inmates, which made up a majority of his murders. It's reported that the convicts Rodriguez killed while incarcerated were ones who he felt deserved retribution. Filio's uh, criminal career finally came to an end in 2003 uh, when he was again apprehended. He was uh, found guilty of several murders and sentenced to more than 400 years in prison. However, due to Brazilian law, which limits the maximum prison term to 30 years, Filio was released in 2007 after serving just over 34 years. Despite his release, he remains a highly controversial figure in Brazilian society. Hmm. Um, update, he's dead now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, that's one that happened after the, the story that I was getting stuff from. Uh, yeah, shot dead. Wow. By, uh, by police. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of... A lot of killing. People. Yeah. Brazilian Batman. Wow. Just, you know, killing people instead of not killing people. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many questions, like how he shot a... Okay, first off, a vice mayor? 
Yes. Never heard of that. No. Second off, he just straight up shot that person and then was like, okay, I'm going to go yep. now. Deuces. Like, no one no one was like, hey, should we do something about him? No. Um, and then, you know, going to to avenge his mother via killing his father. Right. And then and eating like, his did, heart. Did he have to stab him 22 times because he was basically just carving? Like, I, I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a busy, busy. Quite bad the guy. Man. And then you, you think about it, like it, it seems obvious now, mm. but let's maybe not kill, put the uh, criminal killer in jail with in, criminals. In a, yeah, like maybe like solitary. Yeah, like I guess you can't put a guy, like you can't put a dude in solitary confinement for 400 years. Um, well, apparently you can't put him in for 400 years at all. Right. But still, like 34 years in there, like that's. Even for prison systems, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah, oh, it's a lot of people that he, he killed. But yeah, yeah. You, you would think that there would be some way to kind of keep him, you know. So, like, away. sequestered? Yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe put him with the guys with, like, the unpaid parking tickets yeah, and stuff evasion. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Victimless crimes. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we had not. Um, okay, my last one is not necessarily a serial killer. Okay. But when doing the research for this podcast, I asked myself, where has the most serial killers? Mm. And so determining the country, I, I went by country. Yeah. Because I think we all know the answer is the U.S. Right. It's not just infamy and popularity in true crime. There no. is a lot in the U.S. Yeah. Um, so I was going to go, which state has the most? But then I was like, no, I'll make it fair. I'll ask country. Yeah. Um, and it was the states. Um, it is, you know, uh, laws differ from country to country. So uh, variations in reporting of crimes, law enforcement practices, and cultural factors do weigh into this. Um, the U.S. isn't without a doubt the highest in serial killers. Okay. Um, but it has a significant number of documented serial killers throughout history. Mm. So they they probably have the most amount of serial killers, but they definitely have the most amount that we know about. Right. Is is what I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, it's important to note that the prevalence of serial killers is not solely determined by the country itself, but rather by a combination of sociocultural, economic, and psychological factors that can vary between regions, states, and even cities. So even in the states, we see that there's a lot more murders like in the Midwest. Like yep. serial killers, I'll say, in the Midwest. Because um, there's, you know what? Honestly, I think it's the land. There's a lot of places that had a body there. I suppose. Less places in California. Yeah. There's Less still people is, around. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I also would like to tell you um, in the research that Annie TV did okay. um, on this topic of why are there more serial killers in the U.S. than any other country. Uh, in their research, they found over 5,000 people so far around the world who were confirmed serial killers and who committed two or more homicides, which is how you get to become a serial killer. On two or more separate occasions, they looked at them in terms of race, gender, methods, and the country where they committed their murders. And the U.S. doesn't really, in their research, they found the U.S. doesn't really have a disproportionate number of serial killers. It's just much easier to find is, you know, the thing I keep saying. Yeah. Um, so, law, so to get to this conclusion of 
they're just the ones we know about. Law enforcement has to discover the murders and link them back to the same killer. That means you need competent law enforcement agencies, which the U.S., I suppose, has. <laughs> the second part of being able to track the serial killers is once the killer is identified, it has to be announced by law enforcement and made available in prison records. That information has to be available to the public. That the U.S. does have. In the United States, there is much more open records than other countries have. If the U.S. had a higher murder rate than the rest of the world, um, there would it would be more likely to believe that they were serial killers too. But compared to other countries in terms of the murder rate, the U.S. is in like the middle. Hmm. It's just because they document it more. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. But you know, if you consider even. Um, you know, Canada has probably the same competency of police force, maybe slightly higher than the U.S. Um, not that I'm, you know, back in the blue here. Um, but the U.S. also has over Canada uh, like 10 times the population. Right. So the law of big numbers does come into play here. But yeah. then you think of somewhere that's very densely populated, like India or Japan, and it's like, well, how come there's not more serial killers documented there? Well, because they're just not documented. Hmm. Or the public records are not public, they're private records. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that's it. Interesting. That's it. Um, just quickly, you inspired me. Um, okay. I wanted to find out who the very first serial killer was. Um, turns out it was Liu Pengli. From Western Han, he, uh, the prince of Jidong during the reign of the Emperor Jing, his uncle. He, he helped by in um, he helped by enslaving people. He attacked civilians in his lands during the night, uh, killing over a hundred people. Now, the person who was uh, described as the first modern serial killer, uh, Jack the Ripper. Oh, so there you go. Okay. So that's our uh, deeply disturbing show. Yeah. Thank you all so much uh, for tuning in. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Kim, can you go look at our dog? Um, I'll do the sign off here. Okay, sure. Well, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you all. Um, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Um, you can email us at wehadnoidea at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at wehadnoideapodcast. Uh, but uh, she's Kim Carson. I'm Peter Klein. Thank you all so much. And we will talk to you all later. Bye.